I expected to uh, to have Hell Week in the academy. I expected to come out of that thing like like a Navy SEAL or some shit. And uh, and and so I think expectations are, are are being set lower than what people are showing up with. Uh, we don't need certifications on our walls. We need real firemen teaching real firemen shit um, in the fire academies. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, Weekly Scrap number 127. My guest this fine evening is Chad Daly, Battalion Chief, Kansas City, Fire Department, Missouri. He has... Let me pull my slide in my notes. He has been doing it since 1991. He has been heavily involved in special operations throughout his career, including 20 years as a captain on one of the city's technical rescues. Besides his department, he has had the opportunity to respond to many disasters, including collapses, tornadoes, flooding from hurricanes. He has a passion for teaching. And to be honest, man, I'm trying to melt down the bio of this man into something that's a bite size and just get, just, don't get me wrong. He's got the creds. He's got the paper. He teaches. Uh, he is a part owner of Oburn Fireground Training where he gets to spread his passion. Uh, he is a family man. Uh, I am lucky to have him on the scrap. So Chad Daly, welcome to scrap number 127. Thank you very much. Glad and, to be here. Anything I missed? Anything you would like to add to the intro? <laughs> no, no, there's a lot to cover in 30 years, but uh, but uh, that 30 years is why I put myself in these vulnerable positions in front of crowds and people because uh, 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 it, it's been a blessed 30 years uh, on busy companies. Not everyone gets to do that. So that's that's why I keep putting myself out here like this is uh, I feel an obligation to be able to pass on my experiences. So that is awesome, man. Audience, get your questions primed and ready for Chad. Um, if you find value in the scrap and you want it to keep going, and I, and I never want to read ad copy here, so I always this is my ad copy here, is go to the uh, firehousevigilance.com and support it. Um, Kyle Romagus, he is the producer of the scrap. He is hiding in the background. He is looking at all of your comments and your questions that you send. And if you know Kyle, you know he is articulate. He know he is picky. So if you have a good question, he will grab it and he will send it, and your question will get asked. So... All right. With all that being said, get your questions ready. I'm going to read you a few of them. Already we've got David Woodard right out the gate. Revolutionary Fire Taxi Lake said, go get them, boys. Dustin Rourke said, hey, Chief Moore. What do you say, doctor? Joe Gavita said, good evening. J.P. Gardner said, through the lock was a great class in Columbia. Keys to the job was also a banger last summer in Columbia. And then we we already got mom jokes coming. So. Here we go. <laughs> All right. All that being said, we got the intros out of the way. I'm going to throw the first question at you. And I want everybody in the audience to know that uh, I always send an email out to the guest and say, hey, what topics would you like to discuss? And the more detailed that they are, for me, I feel like the better the scrap becomes. So long story short, this was one of the the best set of topics I've ever received. So I, I want to say that right out the gate. Number one, the free thinking firefighter, Mr. Chad Daly. You said you wanted to talk about it. Fireground based decision making. I'm throwing that at you as the first topic we're discussing. What did you mean by that? Uh, there's there's a lot of meaning behind that. Uh, for me personally, uh, the first thing I go to is the way department writes pol- a department writes their policies. Uh, 
and uh, general operating guidelines, whatever binds a firefighter or helps their or helps their decision making. Um, I got to give credit to my department and and uh, and I'll be pro and con my department. We all have love and hate relationship with our own job. I'm fortunate to be able to see other departments as we go out and train and teach. But uh, uh, for one, to create free thinkers, to create firemen who are capable and competent, of course, requires requires training and good leadership. But to be able to make those decisions on the fire ground that are going to actually save a life cannot be written into every policy. So uh, a perfect example of our job, and I'm, I'm proud to be able to share it, is that most the most of our policies policies at the end of their end of our policies will almost always incorporate uh, uh, mm-hmm. and or what's best or what the what the company officer or the incident command decides is best and it basically leaves an out without without dictating exactly what pressure to pump or how to perform a rescue or how to drive a fire truck it, it, it will leave an out so that decisions can be made because every circumstance cannot be foreseen um and, and then and then another another side of that um, for firemen to be free thinkers, uh, I think I think involves training and it doesn't matter. And, and I think even bigger city fire departments than mine, which are small, just big in number um, that doesn't make up most mm-hmm. of the country. So shut my phone off. So um, <laughs> I think we have to incorporate training that allows guys to, to make these decisions, even though it may not be real life, our training is as realistic as possible when we force them into this decision-making so that in real life, uh, they know they have the ability to make these decisions. And I'm fortunate to work on a, a rescue company. I did work on a rescue company until a couple of weeks ago uh, where we had six men responding to a fire and really very little expectations. Well, big expectations, but on the fire ground, uh, we were able to function at will. Nice, and therefore we were able to, you know, to accomplish a lot of things with a good group of guys making good decisions. So, cool. uh, that's now, primarily what I meant by that. No, I want to dig into that because do you feel like that is something that came down from above you, or is that some is that a is that an expectation that you set as the captain of the of that rescue, or where do you think that ability to be? I don't. Is it autonomous? The word, or is it uh, decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ability came through creating a rescue division with no expectations. Um, uh, early on, when we, when we created rescues, uh, there was no technical aspect to it, so it ended up being a, uh, a pop truck full of manpower. Okay. Um, to the point that we weren't even sure what to put on it, I, and I was there for the evolution of that. So uh, we, uh, and again, that that's a good thing, um, provided you have the the right people in place and the right personnel. It's a good thing that we're allowed to do that, uh, and it's worked well for our department. Um, but, you know, they created a rescue back then with five guys on it, and and it, it used to be an engine or a pump. We call them pumpers, but and then all of a sudden one day they're a rescue. So you have a triple-engine house back then where now you have a pumper, a truck, and a rescue. It's like we had to decide what our job was. And for several years uh, it, it was a race to get that second-hand line. Right. And and because we didn't know what to do. No, Absolutely. But, through the evolution of it, we realized there's plenty to do, and that that for us, a city our size, that second engine, let them get that hand line. They didn't need us doing that. They needed help on the roof. They needed someone doing a full 360. They needed someone jumping through a window or coming through a back door and forcing a door for the engine so they didn't have to stop and do it, uh, and or assisting a truck company. So um, it was an it was an evolution over the last 20 plus years as to how our companies operate. 
Um, but now I'd say the expectation really relies heavily on our rescues all happen to be in the core, which means uh, they run the highest volume of calls. Um, and, and the expectation for most of our rescues is, is to dil- diligently do a genuine search. Nice. Um, That's the main, uh, the main, the main bar to hit. I, I would say, uh, yeah, okay. uh, force one the, search the default, and, uh, so to speak. Critical event too. So okay, no. Uh, someone asked on the flip side. Uh, fire culture asked. Kyle says, uh, or Kyle is bringing up fire culture's question, which is on the flip side of that. Too much leeway leads to varying from policy a daily occurrence. How do you address this? So is uh, that is that too much leeway? Oh, go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I could see where that would be problematic, and I could see where that could differ from job to job. So. I, I guess my advice in that in, in, in that arena of policy writing it definitely would have to be dictated uh, by the job and knowing your personnel, their capabilities, um, for sure. So, Absolutely. So I, I, I have to be careful when I speak, especially when we go teach. <laughs> sure. That's why our cadre of instructors, we try to keep a group of instructors from multiple size departments so that we can be relevant to everyone and people can call me out at uh, actually, I called out the New York guys when I first started teaching the Brotherhood Instructors. I didn't understand this whole control the door shit. And it's like, I was taught, my dad taught me the way to control the door is to put it in the middle of the damn street because uh, it's usually in the way. But, you know, once I once I questioned it to those guys, they explained it. It's totally different. When you're fighting that house fire 90 floors up, I had never done it in my life. And you run out the front door, yeah, you might want the front door to close. Never been in that situation, so it definitely is is relevant, uh, and I have to be careful, you know, based off what what we teach as a company and the advice I give, um, and know that it's relevant to my thirty years, which has all been in one place. No, absolutely. Uh, something that we run into even here, um, when as as I'm working with my my battalion is, you know, we can have a policy that we follow verbatim, or we can have thinking fire officers. You know, but but we can rarely have both where it just meshes with the incident. You know what I'm saying? And right. so when someone varies from the, the policy and makes a decision, you have to back it up. You know what I'm saying? You have to back it up or you can say, screw it. We're just going to follow the policy. You know, you yeah, have I to think, decide which one you want. Go ahead. Absolutely. I th- I, and I think most jobs, including mine, would know that your bread and butter fire. Uh, most people, you, you have a much higher um, proficiency rate. At getting things done and people knowing their job when you step outside of that whatever your norm is you know uh so and most jobs that we teach at throughout the, all the midwest you know it's going to be your house fire but when you step outside of that yeah on our job and i think most others and, and when i talk to guys from other other cities chicago milwaukee new york or whatever um those incidents have to be managed uh uh, uh or or things will you know guys can't sure. operate out no so, no not without an incident commander being over it all and, and someone knowing who's doing what. So no, that's that's good. Different, different, a different thing. And I had to realize that, that not, you can't teach to a house fire. You can't teach every skill you teach and, and everything you speak about, uh, you have to make it relevant to more than just your bread and butter house fire because uh, it won't always be applicable otherwise. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Addressing some questions. So, First question, most important question. Someone said, Joe Gavita said, no cerveza tonight. This is the beautiful thing I'm having tonight. Don't tell Modelo. It's a it's a Dos Equis salt and lime. So it's in my Yeti. So just letting everybody know. I think the double oak trumps it. 
Yeah. The, I, like I said, I'm a guzzler, so I have to be careful. But I wanted to answer that question. And then the next question was, before we get back into our actual, yeah, there you go. The actual topics. Uh, Chad, always great to hear what you have to say. This comes from J.D. Ducharme. Um, if there was one thing you could change about the modern fire service, what would it be? So this is the first official question from the audience. Well, second, but go ahead. Uh, I think it goes back to touch on touch on something just because it's fresh in my mind. Because you know, I'd really have to. I, I'd learn to think before I speak, and I'm not given a chance to think before I speak here. So I'm going to first thing is <laughs> something that we talked about right before we went on the air, and that people coming into the academy. Uh, me with 30 years, people with 20 years, people with one year. Um, I think a lot, a lot of our fire academies, um, aren't meeting the expectations. I expected to, uh, to have hell week in the academy. I expected to come out of that thing like, like a Navy SEAL or some shit. And, uh, and, and so I think expectations are, are, are being set lower than what people are showing up with. Yes. And, and that, and I think we can raise the bar. And and a lot of our academies, um, and I'm not just speaking about mine. I, you know, we, we travel around. I talk to other people, but I, I think the bar can be raised there. Um, and and I see other, other other departments that are doing a great job at it. Um, but but uh, uh, that that would be one thing I I think we could focus on in the fire service is um, uh, we don't need certifications on our walls. We need real firemen teaching real firemen shit um, in the fire academies. Um, uh, Let me get my and, pen. Sorry, hold on. Uh, if you claim, in our state, you can claim authority, having jurisdiction, and teach what you want. Um, um, not the certifications are bad, and in some states, I, I know I've been in a part of where they made it work really well. They had a great a state fire academy. Everyone goes through it. They teach the same thing. Um, but but that that's where my mind went with that question. Dude, hundred percent, dude. If you could say that louder for those in the back, is that what they say? Like. Right. Someone said, "Like FDTN." Joey Hayes said, "Like FDTN." Absolutely. I, I every every young person I get, I, I we try to get a hold of them. We there's some guys in my job that are that are equally as motivated and started having like a a garage table talk session once every couple months or so. Some other guys are putting together something that we might be able to hold outside of the fire department with recruits while they're in class. And that's one topic we want to touch on is that. Figure out how to get outside of your job because every job has a mixed a mixed group of people um, of interest, medium interest, and zero interest. So they need to find those people and they need to bet their training. And uh, and the, one of the very best things that we recommend people do is keep a group text of your academy class, stay in touch, commit to go to one class a year. And FDTN is the first place, and I haven't even been there. I just know people who work there, and 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 I've seen a lot of videos and stuff, and I know what they do and what they teach. And I'm like, the best thing you do for your fire, for your career, being a brand new person in the fire service, is is to, is to spend the money and go do a five day your five day training camp there. Nice. Fire. I did back in the day. I we were I was able to do this. Been years ago, writ, writ under fire at University of Illinois, and that was probably the. Um, I didn't learn a lot of new skills, but I was tried beyond what I'd ever been tried before. Um, I was taught to manage air, which I'd never done. I'd taught to buddy breathe, which I'd never done in live smoke. The element of live fire and live smoke was, they definitely drilled that into me. Uh, what a difference that makes. Beautiful. And learn your own limitations, basically, is what I'm hearing. I mean, just yeah. 
And like you said, it's sad that you know uh, people go into a fire academy expecting to go to buds. You know what I'm saying? And get to, and 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 to get let down into oh this is what I'm doing. Okay, you know that right. that's something. I love the fact you said that and touched on it. Uh, Ryan Cummings asks. I'm, I'm already getting a ton of uh, <laughs> audience questions to throw at you, so we're off topic already, which is beautiful. I love it because it's organic. Ryan Cummings said, "For a new company officer, what would you expect as a new chief out of them?" <laughs> yeah, he's poking me in the ribs. He was my driver. Okay, so, okay, okay. I didn't know the I didn't know the background. I'm a brand new chief. Okay, so uh, I, I made my. I've only been a chief for like three days, and uh, and I actually made my first rounds. And it's like, you know, completely honest. I don't know my expectations. This is a totally different role. Um, I can't tell you what my expectations are. I know what my expectations were as a company officer, but this is a totally different role. Um, uh, I'm not coming in and spending 24 hours with every person in my battalion anymore. So, um, but I, I do know as I contemplate it, as I think about it more and more, the one thing I recommend, I will, and I do recommend to every company officer is doing best one hour a day. And that's, a, of course, coming from me, that's a minimum, but one hour a day while you're at work, into bettering yourself. And I'm not talking about washing the rig or going to a fire academy or a radio shop or, or doing CEUs. I'm talking one hour a day of something with your company, company or station-based training to make yourself better. Um, nice. And in order to do that and to get buy-in, I really feel, and that's the advice I would give to a company officer too, that, and, and he, he's seen me do this, he knows it, but that uh, this gets set within the first couple hours of your shift. If you wait till lunch to decide to do some training, you've lost the day, in my opinion. In my experience, not opinion, but experience. Um, I, I think you come in with compassion. You know, does a guy need to take care of some personal stuff? What has everyone else got going on? And then lay out your expectations. I would like to get this done. You know, could I get one or two hours or whatever? Uh, and then also you throw it in their court. What would you guys, what, what could we do to make ourselves better today? Uh, what did we do bad last day? We had problems. Uh, we had we had to relay. We never do that. Uh, right maybe on. We do that today. Um, so uh, that would be my advice: lay out expectations every day, first thing in the morning, and try to invest one hour. I'll never. I, I just recently read something, listened to something. It was Kobe Bryant, one of the best. I am not into basketball, but uh, uh, he talks about his success. It, it was a speech he did. I listened to a lot of. Uh, motivational stuff when I, when I run and his was that he started doing extra workouts before high school. I'm talking junior high. He started coming in an hour early high school. He came in an hour early, stayed an hour late. The janitor would open up for him and practice with him. And, and later on, he bought this janitor a house, I think. Um, but now he gets into his professional career and guys like, how do I get that good? And he just looked him in the eye. He's like, you'll never be as good as me. Like I've been investing an extra hour a day my whole life. You can't catch up. You'll never catch up. So that hour a day makes one hell of a difference. Love it, man. I absolutely love that. Okay, two things. I got a I got a, a good question coming at you from Kyle. He's highlighted it red, which means it's important. But you're a hand talker, which is good, but you also like to smack your desk, which makes a lot of noise to your computer. Just so you know. Yeah. Now, I don't think it's going to stop. Don't get me wrong, because it's natural <laughs> to you. But that's okay. I'm just giving you a heads up. Yep. Um, 
This comes from Chief Mo Davis out of Houston. As a new chief, active up close to the incident or in a car to gather thoughts? Reasons, if you don't mind. Uh, that's a good question. I, I have, I've, been, I've been working out of class as a chief on and off for years, so I do have a lot of good experience there. And, and actually, I would be more comfortable speaking to the incident than I would be the managing of, of a battalion. Um, but I'm absolutely feet on the ground. Uh, uh, circling an incident, uh, and we're fortunate to have a safety officer, a, a district safety officer assigned to us, a driver, whatever you want to call it. But we can use, we work together, you know, at will. We create a plan. But uh, I absolutely think I'm, I'm better most of the time to have boots on the ground in front where I can be seen, visually seen. I can hear. I can evaluate. I want to have eyes on the fire. And, you know, the fires I'm speaking of are house fires, apartment fires. They're not high rises for the most part. Um, but uh, to most point, though, there's a time I will never forget very 20 years ago when I was a very young man riding out as a, as a battalion chief when most probably thought I shouldn't be. Um, but I had to because the guys that thought I shouldn't be wouldn't do it. So there I am. And uh, I pull up on a three-story apartment building. I end up with two of them going. And I became so overwhelmed in trying to manage that incident and people people coming to me face-to-face and everything going on. Now, I'll never forget, I stepped up. It, it was the, the first truck on the scene, truck two. I stepped into the cab, the captain's seat there, that was looking directly at the two apartments and shut the door. And I had to manage that incident, collect my thoughts, not only collect my thoughts, but just be able to hear the radio, look at everything without being interrupted and see that. And that's the only time I've done that. So I can see the value in that. But overall, um, I, I definitely think I, I could, in my opinion, and my leadership style, style and for me keeping overall accountability, that uh, uh, I would do it from, from uh, the sidewalk, so to speak. Up close and personal. Mo Davis said I, he approved. He said love it. So absolutely, we'll get back to the the actual plan topics. But I got one more question coming at you. This one is from Sean Hayes. He wants to know what were some. And this is the thing about the scrap. You never know what's going to get thrown at you. So I hope you don't mind. Like you said, no. you like to think through your answers. No time for that on the scrap. We just get the raw. What Chad? Yeah. Day, what you think? Um, what were some of the basic qualities that you looked for when recruiting interest in the rescue? And tips on honing that culture for current rescue members. That's a great question because I've made a lot of mistakes and I have very little advice to give on that. Because yeah. some of the some of the best person I work people I've worked with, some of my the best firefighters I've got to become good friends with and and see them excel in the fire service were people I wouldn't have picked. So I got very little advice on that. Um, typically it would be the obvious. I try to reach out. We try to look at, you know, we have seniority bid and, you know, um, so, you know, ultimately we're not supposed to have much control over who would come to that company, but, but we do what we can. And um, ultimately, you know, we'd look for someone who has a similar personality and a similar drive. But um, as, and even recently we uh, uh, we've got people that just totally blow us away. So, um, I don't think there's a science to vetting uh, what qualities a guy's going to bring uh, to a company and, until you work with them. And, uh, and and a couple of the people that come to mind, I, I had most senior men telling me that you don't want this person. 
Oh. And and then they would they would beg for the spot. And because of what I was always taught to give a man a fair break, don't judge a man off someone else's words. Um, I'd give him that break, and it ended up being uh, some of the best firefighters I ever worked with. Wow. So I, I I really, in my opinion, in my experience, uh, being a company officer over twenty years and thirty years on the job, uh, I, I have no good barometer for judging who's going to be good. Uh, you know, there, there's there's the outstanding people that are usually going to be obvious, but even then that outstanding, that's class A personalities, usually Mm -hmm. the obvious. So even then that can sometimes be problematic when you get too many class A personalities, especially six to eight of them on one company. Um, that, that, that could be a whole lot of work within itself versus having a mixture of those personalities. And, And that goes back to a whole bunch of book shit that I've already flushed out of my brain, taking captains and chiefs tests, uh, Maslow's theories, uh, hierarchy and all that stuff but there's some truth to that stuff but yeah it's uh very little advice as to how to pick those people out now let me ask you this because this this really piques my curiosity which is how much of let me let me let me back up and say i firmly believe one of the principles i believe in in the core like to my core is that good leaders bring bring out the best in the people that follow them, right? The best in the people they lead, not the people that follow the best in the people they lead. And then bad, bad managers. Cause I don't, I refuse to call them leaders, allow those people to sink to the worst version of themselves. So, you, so good leaders get the best version of people and, and bad managers get the worst version. So what I'm, what I'm trying what I'm kind of getting at is you have 20 years of experience. So how much of that plays into the fact that you just got the best version of people on repeat? I think I did. I think, so when I started out, I quickly learned becoming a seven-year captain on a busy company with all senior men in town with very little experience. Uh, they eventually all bit off. Uh, it took a few years, but they all left. But I quickly learned that I couldn't judge myself based off their opinions. And I knew what I wanted to be, and I knew what I didn't know. So I came in every day asking for their undivided attention till noon. That was it. Uh, we weren't technical at the time. And point being, I turned the focus early in my career for the first many years. I turned the focus on the Chad Daly, I feel like. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a company. It was just Chad Daly, company officer. How do I fill these shoes? So, therefore, I came in trying to be the best, educate myself, and be the best company officer I could through skills, through skill set, not necessarily managing people. And through doing that for enough years, slowly, I think I gained the confidence and the experience that I was able to evolve uh, that leadership style uh, into having a concern for those on my company. Right on. And not having to be so focused on myself and my own skill set and my own disciplines. And I was able to look more broadly at it as a company level and, and then actually starting having compassion and, and being interested in getting involved with other guys' lives and, and, and creating a unit that meshes. So uh, it was definitely an evolution. And uh, there's probably a big, uh, there probably could have been a, a, a better learning curve for me, but I, I didn't have any military experience. I didn't right. have anyone teach me. So it's kind of trial and error, figured it out on your own and made it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I love it. Okay. Uh, Von Brown, I love your question. It is one of the five questions, the next five questions for firefighters. So hang around and you will see Chad Daly's answer to it. So moving on, 
Chad, I don't know if you realize this, but we're 27 minutes in, and we've answered exactly one of our planned topics so far. So, number two, pulling up the notes. Realistic training, it's worth the effort and the risk. That's your topic. I want to hear about it. Yeah, so uh, we had, until two weeks ago, I was on Rescue 9. We had a page, and we got a lot of followers. I realized the reason why, and I also realized this through our training company, O'Burn, that we try to provide as realistic training as possible, which sometimes sometimes involves showing up two days early and putting in a whole lot of work before a student ever shows up. On a company level, uh, sometimes that involves some some actual risk for the company officer, tra- training in acquired structures or, or going out on a limb, creating contacts, knowing where to go. But uh, I'm telling you, to get buy-in from your members to train, it the more realistic, the more buy-in you'll have. I literally, and I realize I got, I've been fortunate to work with some motivated people, but I think it was just this last Thanksgiving, I believe. It's like, hey, uh, strip mall's going vacant across the street, but we'd have to get it today uh, or it's gone by next day. Like, well, we're not doing nothing after dinner. And like after dinner on Thanksgiving and it's 10 degrees out, are you serious? Love and that wasn't my idea. I mean, I threw it out there, and, and that's another sneaky approach to training. Um, it doesn't always have to be your idea. You, you, can, you can throw the bait out there and see if they bite. And sometimes they won't bite. You might be disappointed, and you have to be prepared for that. But the realistic training, uh, the effort put into it to make it as realistic as possible, and, and the lessons we've learned by making training realistic have been huge. Uh, well, we just had, a, we just had uh, uh, some, train, some guys we train with, um, and we do this dirty four-to-one victim uh, firefighter removal. After an experience we had getting a fireman out of a basement and then going back to the drawing board, trying it again, and realizing it wasn't that efficient, right. we went from a two-to-one to four-to-one, and, and then this uh, – and then uh, some training partners we have, you know, they they blew it, the backpack on the on the new G ones completely apart with the technique <laughs> we bought them. And I'm like, holy cow! And, but if you didn't train realistically, you're not going to know this stuff. You're never going to know that, yeah. And you don't want that stuff happening on the fire ground. You don't want to realize you don't know how to use how how to use your saw. Uh, that's a perfect example right there. Most of all of our saws, you start them every morning. They run great. And I, I did this more than once. And then I stand back at a scene. I'm like, cut the side of that semi down. It's on fire. And I watch what I think is an incompetent firefighter doing incompetent saw work. So as the know-it-all company officer, I take the saw out of their hand. I go to make the cut. And I'm just as incompetent because I have no compression on that saw. It starts and runs every morning just fine. And it has for the last year. But we never tested it under a load. Under load. So there again, if we'd had realistic training and that saw got used in training, we would have identified that. So that's another reason for realistic training. I think it saves lives and makes much more competent firefighters. And you'll get buy-in from the firefighters um, versus just always burning in a, in, in a metal box. Oh, I love it, man. I love that. Uh, your evolution of successful searches, incorporating the use of the tick lessons learned. Oh, that, that could be an hour topic, but, um, uh, Take as long as you need, brother. I got nowhere to be. Well, to sum it up, my first 15 years, I didn't make a single grab, spent most of the time on on a company doing searches. The next 15 years, uh, as a company, made a lot of grabs. In the last five years, multiple, and and I'm not saying this at all to brag, but we made, as a crew, made multiple grabs, and it's all a mindset and training. 
That's what uh, I was going to ask. I want. I, I want. I, I, it, it. It. You think it is the mindset and training that has affected the numbers, as opposed to just dumb luck or what people are going to say as well. You just got luck. You know. I'm asking. Go ahead. No, absolutely. I, I think. Um, I, I wish my dad was still around to ask him how they did searches. Uh, if they searched as thoroughly as we do nowadays, um, or if they just got lucky, threw a bunch of people in there and stumbled across them also. But I feel like that that's the case a lot of times, and not just not just my job, but a lot of jobs, um, that, the, that the emphasis isn't going on search. And we pulled up to a house the other night, and I threw all my stuff on the dash, like, son of a gun. And they're like, what? And it's like, every single wire, every single window has fire. They're like, there's nothing for us to do there. This is no fun. There's not one window or door that we can get in and try to make a grab or do a search. So that's how <coughs> how how obsessed we are with the search. Nice. Force the door, break the window, get in there, do the search. Um, and, and and we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Sure. In the last in the last multiple years, because that's our that that is our mindset. That is our goal. Uh, we had one the other night, and this has paid off. And I, I recommend this for other jobs. And, and of course, water on fire is is the best thing that can happen at an incident, um, and it all has to be weighed based off the amount of staffing you have showing up. For us, we have a lot of staffing showing up within seconds of each other. But when I come to the front door, and like I said, as a rescue company, that we're professional freelancers, the best job in the world with very little expectation, except to get a search done. Right. So. When I show up at the front door and the first in pumper and truck are standing there and they're going to have to knock down, they're going to have to knock down an entire front porch and an entire front room and a dining room before we go anywhere. Why stand in line behind them? When I go around the side, come in the back door and what these guys, I watch these guys do, uh, force two doors, uh, climb over hoarding conditions, get to the bedroom because, because of good use of the tick, make a grab. And because they had practiced hauling people out, and they had this drag strap in their coat, be able to turn, flip the pip victim around, put them, in, put the drag strap in, in the play, and get them out. Right um, and that's the evolution of everything. We, between the use of the, the discipline and the education we had to give ourselves with the thermal imaging camera, most people don't know. Well, I say, well, yeah, no, I can, I can, I can comfortably say that from my life throughout the Midwest, uh, that when you don't have a picture on that tick, Give it five seconds. Give it 10 seconds. Uh, the other day, third floor of an apartment building, I went to the front, ripped the window open. Boom. I had a picture. I was able to search the next three apartments, no problem. But when you don't have a picture on a tick, change your elevation, uh, change the atmosphere, or add contrast. And guess what? You're going to get a picture, and you can navigate a whole lot quicker if your environment is zero visibility. So through discipline and using the tick to navigate, mostly to navigate, Yes, we're going to scan floors, but we're using it to navigate. And and then the mindset of search, which we'll talk each other up as we walk up to the house. I'm like, hey, I think someone's there. I think someone's there. We're going to make a grab this time. And through practicing it, I mean, anyone that does anything professionally, they never stop practicing until they quit. So if you're done training, quit. Get out. Is, I, I don't know. I don't know where, where we got this mindset that we never need to practice or evolve or get better. I just don't know where that came from, but um, there, there's a lot. A lot of people have that, and I think that 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 needs to be changed. Also, nice, nice, preach, man. You're preaching, and I love it, man. So I don't want to interrupt you. 
No. Okay. So, and I want to, I want to, I want to kind of like catapult right off this. I got questions coming from the audience, but I also want to catapult off this because it, it kind of ties right into what you're saying. Not to mention just the, the sheer amount of tick, uh, knowledge there. Victim removal, writing the, ridding the crew of the drag and drop syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So that ties into what I said. Um, I had a great firefighter who went to work for another apartment a few years back and, uh, and we had made, some of my first grabs, we made several grabs and, and we felt good about it. Um, but like anyone who's wants to be at the top of their game, uh, we're going to critique ourselves and criticize ourselves. So, um, even though we felt good about it, we're like, you know, nobody saw what really happened. We picked this poor lady up in her bedroom by her wrists and ankles, dragged her five feet and dropped her, dragged her five feet and dropped her, dragged her five. I can keep saying that about 10 times, but I won't. Right. That's what we did all the way out including the concrete stairs on the way down the front porch. I'm like, and we, and we both looked at each other after a couple of those. We're like, we're professional firemen. This is, this is literally our job. I think we can do better at it. So, uh, we went back to the station. I, yeah, I, I got in my bunk with nothing but shorts on uh, and wet out of the shower. I filled the hallway up with chairs. I called my crew up to my office, fully bunked out and had them get me out. And that, that was the beginning of that day's training. Um, uh, hint, hence why everyone calls us squirrels. But uh, a lot of- <laughs> I was going to ask because there's been a few squirrel comments in the in the oh, chat. Yeah, yeah. So uh, go ahead. But that, that very same day, um, he he was just my co-captain on the pumper. He made a grab using what he sat and watched us train on because we went downstairs. We practiced different drags, and then uh, at the end of it, we thought we had made it a little bit better, and we decided, hey, what about this fireman carry thing? No one ever taught me the fireman carry. I always heard about it. I seen it. I kind of know how to do it. So we started doing that, and we figured out it's not real ideal, um, but it will work in certain cases. And every man of my crew decided that if someone's around a buck fifty, and you can identify that, I like that would be the best if your partner knows how to get them help you get them up. And uh, and uh, uh, that very day, uh, I'll never forget the pumper driver. The guy ran into the front room, went down in the fire, and the pump driver went and grabbed him. And then it was a few weeks later, we had a fire where I left my partner on two. Fire on the first floor, I left my partner on two, and I went to three. And because we had trained on it, I was able to take this lighter weight, older gentleman, flip him up on the bed, flip him onto my shoulders. And, oh, lesson learned that day. The one thing no one taught me, don't walk face forward down the stairs because it's a long ways to fall when you trip. So turn around and face the stairs and walk backwards down the stairs. Nice, nice. Um, but it works really well. Uh, and so to sum that up, uh, in the last few years, uh, we've evolved that into a scrap, and we've got to use it on call several times, a few times now. And it's 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 it, it makes life so much easier. And the confidence level we have now of being able to get someone out. And what spawned this what spawned this victim drag scrap that I mentioned is um, we, we had a large patient at the bottom of the set of stairs, um, probably 250, 275 pounds. I watched two crews not be able to do it. And then um, only because I went to that red under fire and my brother and I had trained together on it and we ended up face-to-face. Um, we ended up doing it, but it wasn't pretty. It wasn't easy. And and we almost tapped out too. So it was sure. just very difficult. So then I started realizing that I need a way the main problem I have with anyone has with pulling someone out of a fire is you can't hold on to the wrists and ankles. That hardly ever works in my experience. Um, so when you get around them that you can't keep a grip, 
a grip a grip is is just so hard to keep even if you do the gable grip or whatever it's very difficult to keep it all the way out of the house or down the stairs out of the apartment whatever you're in and that's where we came up with a strap that would go over your shoulder in between the two layers of your coat over your shoulder around your back and down your sleeve and so when you get someone you pull it out of your sleeve shove your arm through it and your hands are literally locked together um uh, and is it a hazard? I don't know. It, I, I don't feel it a hazard to me that I'm tied to that person. My partner then goes around and he leaves me out as fast as I can. And I embrace the suck. I got to do all the work. I'm the one that I'm the second person in. I'm the one to make that grab. He's the guy to set him, spin him around head first out and set him up. So the strap, he, the strap actually runs through your bunker coat out through your, it, out, out it through. Does. Don't, tell, don't tell NFPA, but yeah, no, it's beautiful. I love it, man. I want to hear I, about it. Now, actually, what uh, typically we start off off with webbing and a multitude of other things. You can see all the, a lot of pictures and videos on that Rescue Nine page where we did it, or people can reach out to me because uh, I already tried to get a hold of the victim drag strap guy and unsuccessfully, and see how he went about his business. And so hold on, I want to ask the audience if anybody knows, uh, post the link in the chat. If you, anybody knows the link to the Rescue Nine, just post it in there so other people listening can find it. Go ahead. Sorry, Chad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so um, uh, we went to. I, I was passionate enough about it and know how many how how many people don't know what they don't know. They don't right. know because firemen don't get to do that very often. Uh, most firemen don't get to, but yet that's the ultimate calling, I, I believe. Right? Put out fire and and save a life and pull someone out. So, thousand um, percent. In order to do that, um, you know, we realized how bad we were sucking at it. So. Uh, when we developed this strap, we did it with webbing to start with. Uh, actually, Josh Webb down in Nashville, uh, him and I taught a class together up around Milwaukee with Ty Rondo, and that's when we first started talking about it. And uh, then Ryan Cummings helped me come up with the idea and a bunch of other guys on Rescue 9, and we kept evolving it. And we ended up using the victim drag strap. We got extra ones, ordered them, paid, ordered them, and we put it around our coat, and then the piece of webbing hangs out our wrist in a knot, and all you got to do is grab it, shove your arm through it, and you're good to go. Uh, reach around, grab it if you want, but uh, it, it, it's, it, it definitely changed, changed the way we do business. Uh, we went to Morning Pride to try to get them incorporated in the gear, and uh, and they said it was a great idea, but uh, they were just going to steal it and patent it, uh, <laughs> so I should go do it myself. But I don't have $30,000. I just want firemen to be able to do this, and it really, you don't need anything fancy to do it. Uh, although the new gear, the, the only detriment – you know, you have that little flat, the the, fire, the DRD strap. DRD back in the back, yeah. That thing's all rated for vapor barrier and everything, so it would be no problem to incorporate it into the gear. But the way we're doing it now, if you purchase gear that has the vapor barrier, that strap coming out is going to break the vapor barrier right. because it separates the two by that much. It didn't used to be the fact for our department until we just upgraded to that vapor, putting ourselves in trash bags, so... Now you got to deal with it. Nice. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Matt Sleet, for posting that, uh, the Rescue 9 on there. So, um, yeah, and Smoothbore Cartel brought it up. Same thing that they did with the Reed Hood. You know, exact same thing that went, hap- it went down. Um, they, uh, let me see the name. I'm trying to see it. Alex Coday. Alex Coday asks, ask him about Lockridge making a grab three weeks ago with the victim drag strap. That, that's the one I just made reference to. Okay. He probably asked that a few minutes ago. And that was the most recent one I just made okay. reference to. And and honestly, there's lessons to be learned from there. They probably didn't expect I would I would I would I would talk about our lessons learned. They made it halfway out and fell. 
they got a little quick, got a little excited, and didn't get a good grip and didn't put their hand all the way through and re-grab it like we trained. So, I mean, we're always, like I said, we're always going back critiquing ourselves. How could we have done better? Right. The job was fantastic, and they quickly adjusted, adapted, regrouped, and and and, uh, and continue with it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's worked multiple times. For Beautiful, us. man. Beautiful. And, and like to, the point, to, to the point that uh, uh, any time before I'd use that strap and I'd gotten someone out, I was usually pretty tired and willing to let anyone else finish my surgery. <laughs> finish do my job, right? Right. And, and 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 now it's like i'm ready to go back let's go let's go back to work so it didn't tap me out instead of stumbling around saying where's rehab you know exactly <laughs> yeah yeah okay beautiful man um hey with that being said also i think something uh, i just i don't see it very often i don't hear people doing it um but what we started doing several years ago is when we find a victim especially a house, whether it's the first, you know, first, second, third floor, that, that would, that would weigh in a little bit, but dragging them all the way out. Isn't always the best thing for the victim uh, in a house. Almost. I, I never say always and okay. never say never. Sure. But almost always there's a window in whatever room you're in. So it, would it be better to shut that door, take out a window, call for a ladder or just, you know, if it's first floor, like a lot of ours, I call call for uh, EMS on the seaside, and my incident commander knows what's happening. They know Rescue Nine's getting ready to drop somebody out a window. They better get EMS there because they're going to be laying there when they get there. Get it on the side. So yeah, um, uh, I think that's something that some people don't consider. Uh, you get in a mindset, and you, if you don't get to do it often, I, I and I want to say that because I was there. You go in, you find someone. It's like I got to take them back out the way I came. Sure. No. You don't. You don't have time for your mind to think because we don't get the train under that kind of pressure. So, which at all, like you say, you're just bringing it full circle right back to your realistic reps, just to make it to where you can actually have that in the Rolodex if you want to. If you want to reference the RPDM and et cetera, et cetera. Right. No, it's beautiful, man. I love it. Um, all right, Joe Valentine coming at you says. Um, second question: Seen a lot about two in, two out, and how it is crippling our service. Not my thoughts, but it was interesting and intrigued me. The thought is, with politicians not helping our service out and run with skeleton crews, two in, two out, prevents us from doing our jobs. Rescue, offensive attack, etc. Your thoughts on if it is beneficial or not. Hey, uh, I guess we don't hold back. Just uh, We'll just throw the... Yeah, we'll just throw it at you. Absolutely. So... What's your I'm thoughts not, on two in, two out? I, I'm based off the amount of response we have. I'm not affected by the two and two out. We have enough people showing up to the scene that that has never affected me or my life or my response to where you're going to have some people not go to work or do their job. Um, you know, I, I would definitely have an opinion on it. You know, I thought we all swore in to be firemen and go save lives, not stand outside, but love it. And I, th- I thought we put the public above us, uh, you know, of course, without, you know, undue, you know, cowboy risk, but um, at times it's appropriate. So um, my best translation to my life and my experience is writ and the evolution of writ on our job. And I am, I'm proud what our job does and what our battalion chiefs are able to do. And, and the way our, most of our writ companies will free think, go to work and do proactive work. Um, But also our battalion chiefs, even though, and I'm sure, and I, I don't study NFPA standards or recommendations, 
Um, but I'm sure you're supposed to have some rip crew standing outside of four people or something minimum. Um, any incident where you have a working fire and crews are going to work. I'm pretty sure that's probably written. I don't, I don't know, but, um, so sounds accurate. Sounds accurate. For us, we definitely strive to do that. We send that company on the regular alarm, but I'm proud to say that our, our battalion chiefs can free think and that if they think it's more important that another line goes to the house next door or gets people out of the bedroom in the house next door or whatever it may be, that they will put those guys to work and whatever is best for the incident and best for the public, as opposed to nice. feel like they're bound to having four guys standing outside when it, there's a there's a critical fire ground task that needs done and nobody to do it. And so I think I think it would be the same for two in two out. I think it's it's good and that's what you probably want to strive for, um, for sure uh, for our own good. But uh, you know if you can't do it, then you know you're lacking manpower and and. And, you know, you got to decide, you know, is it really worth what's worth it? You know, are you going to make the grab or, you know, or not? Beautiful. My computer just went crazy and I don't know, but I I think I made it stop. I think my laptop is actually touching my keyboard. Okay. I fixed it. Yeah, no doubt. I think I just tried to ruin the scrap. Okay. Uh, What is your PJ Johnson? What you, I, I think I have an answer for this one, but what is your view on VES operations? We're going to give you a soft toss, so go for awesome. it. Awesome. All right, man. It's, uh, uh, so when I, when I mentioned that to me, go back 10, 15 years ago when BS, the acronym showed up, you know, my dad laughed at me. Uh, my dad was a 30 year vet, got on in 68 and, and he laughed at me and didn't understand why we need an acronym to do everything we do on this GD job, you right, know? Right. And, uh, um, but I, I give him credit for it. Uh, the, aware, uh, the awareness of that option and the and the practice of it has definitely influenced my life in the fire service. I, I will not deny that one bit. Um, that we look at a structure now, and without without that coming forefront like it did, um, I, I, I don't know if it would always be such an option for us. To whereas now it is, and um, I, I got helmet cam. We use it in our thermal imaging class. I got helmet cam footage of of guys seeing victims on the floor after taking a window. Why they're they're again they're fighting fire through the front room door. What is everyone just going to stand here while we do this? Or right. no, we're going to take windows, scan the room, decide if we're jumping in or not, or go to the next one. See if the door's open or not. Decide if they're safe. Move to the next one. And I I am uh, and not everyone in our city is 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 that eager to do that but we do it a lot as a rescue company and like i said as as you know be able to decide what we do and where we go on the scene and be given that kind of lenience and that trust uh uh we oftentimes have guys going through the second floor window while they're fighting fire on one and again that's there's a whole lot of things my father told me never to do (laughs) that i find myself doing but the fires are different the time frames are different. The things burning are different. And uh, and I trust the guy. We train on it. And I trust that guy to be able to jump through that second floor window and get himself back out um, um, with, without any harm, and, you know, unless something catastrophic happened. So I, I think been in our search is a great tool. It's worked really well for us. And and then you also, you have to vet your information and vet your reason for doing it. I, I will never forget this was a great lesson learned for me and uh, and a guy on my crew is that a lady standing in the front yard pointing to the window on the corner of the house. It would be the AD corner saying somebody's in there and the front room's on fire. So I had two guys going through the back and I go straight through the front window within seconds. I didn't find them. So I do a 
somewhat of a right-hand search back around to the back door. And I run into my guy who came through the back. He was a little eager to get to me because it's pretty certain based off the person in the front yard that I was going to have somebody. Right. And my, and my partner that day didn't make it through the window with me for whatever reason. So he wanted to be there to help me. That victim was about six feet to the opposite side of the mm. door that he came in. So that goes back to training. And, and, and we've driven that home now. No matter the urgency, you span out anytime you go through that back door or a front door or a side door, uh, you search within 10 feet of that door because the probability and the numbers that they're basing on search culture and all these other things, it's like you search it because the information is not always true. My baby, my baby, my baby, there's a 50% chance that's a dog. Right. If you don't know that person. Yeah. So. No, it's beautiful. I have a question. Expanding on VES, this is coming from Kyle Rahm, like a smoothbore cartel himself. Can you walk me through... And we're going to play, because I know you got six guys showing up with you. Uh, can you walk me through how the operation would go down if you only had two members to complete the task? Air break to completion. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It, um, very very much the way people train train on it. Um, uh, yeah, the, the way most people, most most training companies are out there doing it uh, for, for veterinary search. For one, we got to decide if we're going through that window. And, and like I said, uh, if, if you and that's how we'll operate usually. You know, you set the break, and, and we work in groups of two. So we head up there, and we decide that uh, we're working our way to the back, and and we may decide is relevant to take out windows. Which you know, you got to decide where the fire's at, how urgent it is, and if taking out a window is going to make things worse or not, or if you can simply go through a door. Right. But when we do uh, bin in our search, um, ideally. Our plan is to have one person go inside and one person stay at the window. The person goes inside, scans the room with the camera, hands it off if you don't have a camera in every hand, and then one guy goes in, you know, and he may or may not shut the door. It depends on if it's needed. Um, but search that room. But also, depending on the conditions, uh, we try to never paint ourselves in. Depending on the conditions, that person may come up with a negative search and call for his partner in, and they may take off to the next room together, knowing where their exit is. Knowing right. close the doors on both and go through the wall and still bail out that ladder. Um, it's nothing but sheetrock stopping you from that ladder. So um, uh, I, I'd say for the most part, we train the way most of the fire service trains on it. One person in, one person at the window. But then again, you know, if we're really looking for someone, we I, I won't say that we haven't sent one person in the window and that guy with the camera goes on down to the next window, leaves right. that guy alone, and he goes ahead and does a scan of the next room because if he comes up negative, he can tell him to go through, go through the wall, or come back out and go back in. Beautiful. So that's that's the free thinking part of it. That uh, without training, without without a lot of training, no, that's what I love. It's you, got, you brought it back full circle to the, to the right. actual first topic: the free thinking firefighter and right. fire ground based decision making. And that's what I love is that it's all tied together. Um, Dirk Janiak wants to know, searching on all fours or tripod position, low to no vis, any preference as for the most effective search technique? Uh, my preference is to walk around with complete visibility. Nice. Nice. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're asking for preference, you got a good answer. That is the problem with teaching thermal image or teaching search, in my opinion. It is so hard to teach. I can teach search where you crawl around, which I will do in a fire. I can see, teach search where I, I do the knee, the knee slide, 
and hit the wall and every 10 feet come out, which I do in a fire. I can teach the search where I walk around standing up with my flashlight on because it lights up. My, it illuminates my feet and I can barely see my feet. So I'm going to, I'm going to duck walk around. Um, or, so it, it's, that's what makes for me, makes it so hard for me to teach a search class because every 10 feet or every doorway is going to dictate what stance I take for a search. Everyone is different. So for me, when I go through the front door, I usually move to one side or the other, or I'll, I become a doormat. And in doing that, a lot of times I can I will end up passing up companies because I'll take the ten or fifteen seconds to use the thermal imaging camera if it's available. If not, then I turn a flashlight on. I look at my toes. I decide if I get to stay on my feet or not. If I can't see my toes, I turn the light off. That way, I don't get hit in the head with a hand line, and I get down. Once I get down, I grab the camera again. Can I see with the camera? If I can't, and I, at this point, it's hands-on. It's hands-on search. And most of the time when it comes down to individual rooms, it's almost always, even if the camera's working, I can I can search a bedroom faster with my hands than I can a thermal imaging. With the camera? Yeah. I will scan the room with it, and I will know what I had, or I will tell my partner what I saw with it. But as for the actual search... Uh, and those guys the other night, they found them, they put the camera down. They found this person with their hands. You can search a 12 by 12 room, in my opinion, faster with your hands than you can trying to walk around and look in every nook and cranny with the camera to your face. Um, the camera usually is to navigate. And if you're lucky, you find someone on a couch or better in the middle of the floor with it. And, and that's luck. No, you're not discounting its use, but actually, like practicality, I get that 100. Yeah. percent A lot, a lot of questions coming at you. Andy Stars wants to know, uh, and I'm going to keep it on the VES thing, and we'll come back to JP's uh, Chief. Would you vent for life while you're VESing, especially with little manpower to help you control flow paths? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I still believe in vertical vent, and and mo- and a perfect example of that. Uh, uh, one, one of my older drivers, John Young, he moved on. He knew if I was on the – I went to the second floor above the fire. I got a lot of confidence in that hand line. And um, potentially, if I start calling for ladders, that's when my confidence starts to dwindle. And then when I ask for vertical vent, I know that on our job it's already happening. Um, um, but when I ask for it, uh, that's basically telling those guys, I'm getting really hot and uncomfortable <laughs> up here. Give and, me some lift. Uh, I need some I lift. Yes. <laughs> really doubting my decisions right now. Right on. So, and they know that with, without with 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 just those simple words. So, but uh, definitely. And 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 another good experience we had from one of our well, Tom Byrne, who we named our company after. I learned a lot from him and uh, John Tibetan, who also was a battalion chief that died in the line of duty on our job. I learned I learned from both of those guys that uh, if things aren't going well. Um, and this for Tom Byrne, this happened after we had we had a near line of duty death where an apartment building flashed over front to back, and uh, and that guy made it back to work, but barely um, after months of recovery and being in a coma for a while. But what he took away from that is he would pull companies out, and for one, uh, along with that chief the button, um, make those companies regroup and come up with a good plan, go or no go and how much time they have and what the plan is. And that's simply all that's needed sometimes is to coordinate that effort. But also a lot of times I saw what that chief burn would do when he pulled people out is that he would go ahead and, and vent that whole structure. And what he was doing was essentially making the unpredictable predictable by giving it all the air at once, letting it light up. And yes, you may be writing off survivable places, 
but they're but you already backed out and you're in the decision making process of what what we're going to do here. So uh, at this point, you've written off most of those places. So he would back out and potentially take every window out or let the vertical vent happen, let it light up. It's like now this is something that seems familiar to me. Now this is something I feel is predictable. Now I'm willing to let these company officers make a hard charge back in here. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, JP Gardner wanted to know, what is your go-to hand tool? For me, um, you know, after after learning good forceful entry from the Brotherhood Instructors guys, New York and Canada fellows, and then also learning through the lock and being able to apply it almost every day now, uh, through the lock has changed the job for me and those that work with me. Um, because of the, those aspects, forceful entry and through the lock, um, I use a Max Max Rex. I know it's not the best tool for forcible entry, but I have a force wedge in my pocket that I can grab with a gloved hand, and I can do a one-man force all day long with it. So um, I like having the Max Rex. When I first learned through the lock, I thought, man, I'm never going to go through the lock at a fire. Just, just no way. No way is my job going to let me. No way am I going to decide that it's the thing to do. And uh, I think twice, two, three times within the last six months, I can tell you I went through the lock at a fire. Nice, nice. It was applicable glass, aluminum glass doors, metal bars all over it, 15 seconds, boom. Um, so that Max Rex, so that you, for me. Do you just like the fat the fat ads? No, no, the Maximus Rex, which, ha- which, which, which has the, the lock puller in it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. So, therefore, you can't quite gap. You can't gap too aggressive with it. Because I have seen a couple of them break. Right. But I've been using mine for like 10 years. I've never broke it. But I know when I see it start to bend that I got to switch to I, I got I to switch to a force wedge potentially. Okay. But it's never really limited me other than that. And it gives me the option because I'm, I'm a gadget guy and everyone will make fun of me for it. Um, uh, the stuff I have in my pockets and on my belt. But uh, I, I, don't, I can't. I tried. I, I went through an evolution of what I carry. And. And, you know, I carried a pro bar forever, but then I started carrying a Rex and it was too many tools at a right. striking tool. And this, even with my partner having additional tools. Uh, so then I went to the, the Rex tool that had the strap on the back and that was still, that's still a big chunk of steel to carry around. So I finally switched to the max Rex. I found the happy medium for me. That's what works for me. Nice. Um, and, and in regards to the tools I carry, I also carry a piglet. Yes, it's a six pound. Yes, I'm capable of using an eight pound. I can use a 10 pound. But, and yes, I work out. I don't need to work out more so I can use an eight pound. But that's it. My job is not forced entry the whole time I'm at that fire. It's a fraction of my job. Right on. So that, that piglet, six pound, there is nothing I've not been able to overcome with it. There's no door I haven't been able to force. Maybe it takes a couple more strikes. Um, but two pounds lighter on my waist and several inches shorter on the handle is a whole lot easier when I'm carrying a 250-pound person out of the house right. or while I'm spending the next 20 minutes crawling around on my hands and knees. Um, so for me, that's what works. Beautiful. Beautiful. Checking, checking, checking from Kyle. There's a lot of comments coming at you. You should mute Kyle. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of references to mom jokes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure where I should chime in. Um, uh, Chad, I, BJ Breacher, Chad, I saw you at the end of the job and really enjoyed your presentation, in particular the moment you referenced your father. So there's that as a comment. Um, it's powerful. 
Yeah, a lot. Too much to even try to try to look at. So here's the deal, man. There was like 16 topics that I had that you had actually like sent to me. We, we're on number four. Um, yeah. I'm going to bring up a couple more before I before I before I toss it to the books and and the questions. Managing a rescue company of eight. Controlling and guiding company expectations daily. Because I think this is huge for company officers, regardless of the size of their company. Managing um, expectations daily. Yeah, and, and we kind of already touched on that. Um, but to, to encompass everyone's uh, motivation, drive, feelings, you know, it, it, a guy's in a pen, you don't... You, you got to be compassionate. You got to get to know your company and your guys. And I, imagine if you have a, a crew of six and you'd like to speak to each one of them on a personal level for 30 minutes each. That's several hours of your day. Yes. So, um, so trying to manage that and, and that, and that would be the goal. Um, but you need to bring them together. And, and, and well, that takes me the way we're building stations nowadays. These huge stations are unnecessary. Hey, preach, dude! You're getting into my wheelhouse. I yeah. love this. I love yeah. this. You can yeah. talk all day long. I'm not happy with those, but I mean they're comfortable and nice, but it's not helping the fire service. But as as for the crew, um, I, I I think to to manage them and to bring them together, uh, that's something setting those expectations on a daily basis. Nice. Every morning, like I said earlier, uh, I think really helps. And then also some kind of rank within that depending on the department for us we have a fire apparatus operator um a driver and then we also tag in especially you know on a crew of four or five maybe it's not as applicable but for us on a crew of six eight assigned six riding every day um a senior firefighter role we weigh heavy on that senior firefighter like a formal a formal recognition Formal amongst us, yes. Okay. Uh, that company, yes. Yes. Amongst, okay. amongst the job, no. Okay. Um, amongst the job, all you have is a captain and a driver. But ha- that senior firefighter, I think, plays a role too. Dude, I think it's and, huge. I just don't know if if um, I'm trying to figure out how to make it to where people can recognize it informally, but formally amongst themselves. Does that make sense? What I'm asking. Right, right, right. And for us, it's just the guy with the most time on the job. And I, and I will say that hasn't always worked out the best for us, but that's what we continue to make work. I mean, because imagine if I get uh, – I have a firefighter who – this has happened. He got on with me uh, right out of the academy. He's been right. 10, years, 10 years with me. And then I get a 15-year guy who um, hasn't been able at a busy place. This guy's been with me at a busy place for 10 years. And now I got to tell this guy, listen to what he says. Right. Um, but that, that's all part of it. You know, it's he's the senior firefighter. This guy took a test and made captain. This guy took a test and made FAO. Uh, you have to build and empower those people, and they're never going to live up to it if no one's going to put them in the position to live up to it and empower them and rely on them, even though you know you have to expect that, that you're going to fail. I'm going to fail as a, as a new chief. I guarantee I'm going to fail as a new chief. And, uh, and it, I'll own it. I'll own it and rebound from it. But you, you know, so when you give those expectations, you have to know that you know they're going to hopefully do their best. If not, they will after you talk to them and they take a second shot at it. I love talking to you because, like I said, it comes back to that: uh, people excel to the uh, when when they're under good leaders, they they rise to their best version of themselves, and when they're not, they sink to the lowest version of themselves. So it's it's really cool, and I I mean that as a compliment because you get. I guarantee you get the best version of people 
that are, that are assigned to your crew. And that's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. And I hope you take it as a compliment, what I'm saying. So that's why I smile because when you say it, like if they can't excel, if they're not allowed to excel, you know, and, and it's just, it's such a powerful concept that so many people miss. Um, I I evolved over the last, just the last five years or so to taking myself out of training a little bit, which is very hard for me. But I have guys who excel at teaching it now, and uh, and I realize that I, I sometimes I literally have to go to my office and shut the door for me not to be an interruption. <laughs> let, these, let these guys do their thing because they're just as competent as me. That's um, awesome. And, and 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 in the same mindset, we get a brand new guy, and I got six guys who maybe don't necessarily want to train every day all day or need to, but yet we got a new guy that does. So we also learned, well, let's divide this up. The new guy doesn't mind training all day. So you got him for two hours. You got him for an hour. You got him for an hour. You got him for an hour. And in the meantime, you know, we'll do whatever we got to do around the engine house or whatever. Take care, take care of business otherwise. So, Okay, so I don't know if you know Sean Seidel or not. I think you've mentioned him already. But he has a question coming at you. And he said, ask Chad about the feelings box. It's a yeah. re- it's a real thing. So I don't know if I'm stepping off into something or not, but I'm- no, no, you're absolutely good with that. Okay. What's what's uh, there's been an evolution of that. So where that started, at least in my world, where that started was with my dad. Okay. Uh, my dad had a good reputation on the job, and it was a lot to live up to. Um, but he would tell people when they showed up, he would give them a shoebox. He's like, "Here's your shoebox." He's like, "This is where your feelings go." He's like, I don't care if your daughter needs an abortion. I don't care if your wife's leaving you. I don't give a shit what's going on in your life. This is the best job in the world. And 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 I know my dad had his problems too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went through three wives and this and that. So, uh, you know, he's lived. He's lead, He lived it. Uh, a life of addiction and everything else. So, but he came to work knowing that was the best job, being passionate for that job, and having a good time. Put your feelings. Put your problems in this box now. And put it under your bed is what he'd tell you. Put them under your bed. They're gonna be, and, and the point being, they're gonna be there tomorrow. You can't do nothing about it today. So while you're here today, have 24 hour reprieve at this job that we're all passionate about. Don't rain on our 24 hours. Let's all go do this job we're passionate about. Now, with mental health and everything come to light, um, which probably wasn't much so back then. Right. Of course, there has to be sympathy and compassion. For, for your brothers and and I don't think there wasn't back then there I know there wasn't right so, but but the thought in it is relevant and, and we re- actually recently had some recently so so the funny part of that is we recently had job wide training what well, job a job wide talking to I don't I don't know what you call it right uh, like psychologist psychologist talked to all of us sensitivity oh, type uh, yeah, awareness yeah yeah and, and his mantra was to quit stacking boxes. <laughs> the opposite of what we've been teaching. Quit stacking the boxes up. <laughs> right um, on. Bubble up. Yeah. But anyway, it's just two different ways of looking at it. He was probably right. I know I was right. I know that I've lived by that. And, uh, I, you know, put those away and refocus. And, and it's just a mental, it's a, a mental ability to do that uh, for anybody to be able to. It actually, it. it that's just living life, Jim. Hundred percent, bro. Hundred percent. 
new a new a new page. Now, I want to be there for anybody who needs me. Don't get me wrong. If they if their box is overflowing, I want to be there for them. But hey, right. if you can enjoy this if this day for a day, put it under the bed and let's right. let's go do work. Let's go train and let's go get better. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love then, it. Uh, one day, yeah, I won't use that kind of language on here, but. Uh, one day I, 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 I threw that on someone and he got right in my face and said, my shoebox is full MFR. And it's like, all right, then I guess we need to talk. Let's go have a conversation then. <laughs> no, hundred percent. And that, and, and it's a great tool right there. If they can, yeah. if they can admit that it's full, then that's a huge step. Right. So absolutely. Now I want to, I want to pick something real quick because I'm, I'm loving this conversation, but you said something that is right in my wheelhouse when people ask me questions about it. And that is this, um, the modern fire service has has made this transition. Like everybody's asking this question, is like why are we having trouble recruiting volunteer side? Why are we having trouble retaining? You know, why are we having trouble with the like used to? We used to have to develop recruitment processes that cut down the number of people coming in. Now we're having to develop recruitment processes that invite people to join us. Right? And my theory, it's just a theory, is we are seeing the result of 20 to 30 years and it's a ballpark figure of treating the fire service like a business and a corporation as opposed to a family and a brotherhood does that make sense what i'm saying the building the building go ahead yeah yeah no i absolutely think i think that's a piece of it and and i think i also think it's it's just society and generationally the way our country as a whole i mean that's a big broad picture oh sure sure it's the way we have evolved as a country. People, when I came on, and when my dad came on, my dad got that job. It was a part-time job. It was a part-time. He made more money laying brick than he did. No, yeah, you had to. You had to have a trade job, of some sort, right? And then when I got on, it took me four years to get on, get on, get on our department, and I was up against three thousand people every time. Um, and I had a dad on the job who, I don't know, but I think he probably could have maybe helped get me on the first time. Maybe I don't even know to this day, but uh, but he did. I didn't come until the fourth year. But you know what he told me? You know what I did for those four years? I worked for my dad, and I worked hard, the hardest I ever worked in my life. And I worked on a roughing crew. I worked for a roofing crew. And my dad always told me that you, sh- the guy, doesn't deserve to have a job like this until he's worked for a living. Oh. Uh, and uh, and that was his opinion. And I think that's why maybe if he was able to give me help in the beginning, maybe I didn't get it because he wanted to see if I could work for a living. Um, but. <laughs> And, and it's nothing against the guys coming on because I've had great guys work for me. Hundred percent didn't, didn't come from blue collar at Absolutely. all. Absolutely, adapted. They've learned how to use tools. They've learned how to be aggressive. Um, but we don't. We definitely don't get the blue collar worker. Uh, so that's. I, I think it does take us back a few steps in training um, to where we had. We need to evolve the fire service. That I've definitely seen that in my lifetime. That. That the brotherhood, the idea of brotherhood had to be taught. That that camaraderie had to be taught um, because of the people we have coming in don't come from the military, don't come from a blue-collar job. They haven't been, I won't say bullied or harassed, but they haven't been given a hard time in their life. Right. Uh, no, no, more, or, or earned, more, a, more earned a spot on a team. You know, I, I'm... Yes. Yeah. 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 So, nor pay, have they suffered hard times. Nor they, dues, yeah. I don't know they, the right words, but yeah. Yeah. They didn't go to World War II. They didn't go to Vietnam. Uh, yes, we have a lot of great, some of the best guys have done time over, over in the Middle East, but um, not to the numbers that we had back then. Um, so, I don't know. That's a. Uh, 
That's that's a good question. But I think what you say plays a little bit. It's it's definitely run like a business, uh, and and sometimes um, management not being in touch with what we're trying to do down here, um, uh, making it a, keeping it a brotherhood. Um, definitely, I, I I would agree with what you said there. No, absolutely. Okay. We again. I think that could be a, a, a two hour scrap on its own. Just, right. just right. Like, like everything. We we made it to number five uh, out of yeah. the sixteen. So you here's my deal. You have to agree to come back. So no, I'm going to commit yes. you to that right now. Okay, done. Uh, I really do appreciate that. So I always like to ask: Is there a book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? Mm. Does not have to be a firefighter book, but just book or books that you think firefighters should read. So I'm the worst person in the world to ask that. And I'm trying at, at 53 years old, I'm finally disciplining myself. I've read from, I'll tell on myself now, I grew up, I didn't get the help I needed. I, I had ADD bad, I'm sure, or what ADHD, I don't know what it was. But uh, therefore, um, you know, I read and write just fine, but uh, I would never put my nose in a book. Uh, the only time I did was to study for a captain's test and a chief's test. Sure. Um, I, I read like Michael Avershaw, it's your book, uh, engine company, whatever. I can't even remember the front page, the red book, uh, engine, whatever. Um, I read two or three books and, and they're great. Um, for me, I, I focus more on, um, daily life motivation, uh, motivation as a whole, not just the fire service. And then I read lots of fire service educate myself and then as much as i can I see. i'm losing you hold I'm up doing. hold up yeah how about now yeah hold up. i'm waiting to see if you come back are you there okay. i'm here motivation start from motivation yeah so my own motivation um that you got me yes i got you you're good okay. right now yeah, you're my- good I'll, t- I'll interrupt you if you're not go ahead no i like i, I listen to a lot of the the, the Rogan and uh, Dave Goggins and yes. stuff like that and, and, and just try to reset myself on a daily basis and make sure that I'm living for the right the right reason, the right people, which isn't me uh, at this point in my life. I try to make it not about me. And uh, and, and and that's where my motivation uh, and where I seek motivation. And, and I'm a Christian and a man of God, and there's many people who have helped keep me on somewhat of a path there. Um, Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I'm ashamed in that walk because I know it could be better, and, and I hesitate to even say it. But you know, join the club, and I'm not ashamed of my God. So um, that's what I believe, and that's what I do. I, I got to say, I give props to Andrew Starnes, and uh, uh, he gives me motivation. The things he writes and does. If you don't follow him, he he does some. Besides being a guru on thermal imaging, uh, uh, he says some good motivational stuff, and, and that's something else I, I would say. Uh, uh, that that has gotten me down in the fire service that I've gotten over is all these people with training companies. Kyle would understand it. I'm like, none of this stuff is new. We may have evolved it and made it applicable and added my own experiences to it. But it's like, I feel like uh, we need to lose the attitude. Our, the training company I have is, is not Chad Daly. It's O'Burn Fireground Training, and it's a nonprofit. I hope it's here in 30 years. I hope anybody in the country that has something to share could come teach to it. We'll pay, we'll, we'll pay you appropriately, and it's a nonprofit, which makes it easier to do that. But um, I've, I've experienced pushback from 
different different people out there teaching and it's like it's i i, I didn't think anyone owned a, a, a certain a certain a certain genre of genre of teaching uh forceful entry man or machine or elevator or this or that i i i didn't know it was be stepping on toes to share my experiences and and yes i gained knowledge from these guys teaching it and i may have even attended their class but that doesn't mean i haven't spent 20 or 30 years doing it and added my own to it um and and i embrace all those people that i've learned from and 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 would welcome them to teach a class if they're better than me. I would rather, I would rather if I could afford it, bring that person in the teacher class instead of me. But sometimes me is all you get. That's it. <laughs> I did. I, and, and the best part of it is it's like, you, like, like you said, and I'd love it, man. You're preaching. And, and, and I'm going to say it like you remind me of Andy Starnes when he gets on his, when he, when he gets rolling, dude. So I hope you take that again as a compliment because when he That's preaches, cool. I love it. Um, do it for the love of the job. Fire culture said, I'm going to hit it. Yes. Hell yeah. Everybody's saying, hell yeah. I really get a lot. Amen. There's amens coming. Okay. Um, no, a thousand percent. I love everything. Where was the one I was going to read? Uh, chief Daly's on point. He's worked on the busiest companies in the city, yet he keeps focus on the whole of his duties. No matter if it's suppression, rescue or EMS, Joshua Everett said, please preach chief. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. So I just want to catch you up on all that. Thank you. Um, we have a thing we do, and I, I, dude, I, I, I really, I'm really sad that we made it to number five out of the 16 topics. Um, we're going to do this again, but we have a thing we do on the fire, uh, a weekly scrap. It's called the next five questions for firefighters. The answers are completely a hundred percent your opinion and the points are arbitrary and assigned by me. So are you ready? Chief Chad Daly for the next five questions for firefighters. All right. Here we go. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and the top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Dependability. In all aspects of it. Yeah. Expand. Yeah. They depend on them to show up, depend on them to check their rig out, depend on them to have air in their air bass, depend on them to mask up in 10 seconds, depend, just depending on them in every aspect of the expectations that you lay out. Mm. No, I, I, dude, yeah. I can't argue that. I can't argue that. I don't know if I've ever had a, just a one word answer and yeah. explained so easily. So I will give you max points 100% uh, out the gate. Uh, number two, if you could go back in time. And give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie. What would it be? It would be not to put so much weight in what other people's opinions of myself. I spent a lot of years worrying about whatever other people thought of me. Fortunately, I was able to refocus and continue to refocus. But man, did it weigh heavy on me. Um, some people that put weight on me um, were skeptical. Um, um, you know, it, it, maybe it wasn't a big deal to them. They don't realize it. Um, but it was a big deal to me and, uh, and, uh, it, it was, it was difficult to navigate as, as a young company officer filling my dad's shoes on a busy company. Um, uh, that, that would be it. I love that. All right. Number three, what is your favorite training drill? I'd say that the, the thing I love most, uh, and love to train on is forceful entry. It's, uh, I've gotten really proficient at it. 
you know, being able to run a lot of fires, being able to get lots of acquired structures. Um, we did four hundred dollars, four hundred doors a day for two weeks down at Katrina. That was that was like a Disney Wonderland. Yeah, I was, after that, after those two weeks, I shook my head and I and I wondered. <laughs> it's like how many people in the fire service have forced this many doors in their life, right? And they're they're, they're in the hood, so they're fortified doors. I'm like, this was one incredible experience that that not many people in the fire service ever would get. And I love training on that. I love passing my experience on from that. And, and, and I've still learned from it and, and to the point to where I wonder now that I'm a chief, at what point do I start losing relevance? Because I still learn every fire I went to by doing hands-on. Uh, uh, so I, I love passing it on. It's, and and uh, to the point, I'm going to say it right now, forceful entry, for one, I didn't teach I will not teach you to force the door and not make you dive inside that door on your belly and search. Um, nice. You will do that even if it's in training. Uh, and the second thing is that what happens when you force the door and it won't open? What are you going to do? I've, I've learned multiple things, but you, you have a refrigerator behind it. You have hoarding conditions behind it. And then a reopening door. No one taught me that. I had to learn on my own. Take it off the hinges, slide it outwards, crack the jam in half, and force it outwards. like nice. door. No nice. one taught me that. I had to learn the hard way. Over so, and over in Katrina. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to ask you this, which is follow-up, not part of the five questions, is uh, was the Maximus Rex or was it the Pro Bar at that time? Max Rex. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Uh, I love that. I will give you max points on your favorite training drill. Number four, yeah. what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Man, I tell you what, thermal imaging – they threw that thing in my lap. I read the directions. They said, teach everyone how to use this. So I told them how to put the battery in and turn it on. That was years ago. Um, I probably went for 10 or 15 years, didn't know it had a, uh, a low sensitivity mode, didn't know the color changed, the temperature gauge changed. I, I didn't know. I, I, zo- I literally had it in my hand at every fire and didn't know. That's how much credibility I gave to it. Um, so uh, I, I would say thermal imaging is the thing I've learned the most of, and I wish I'd have learned early on uh, because – Knowing what I know now and the way it, the way it enhances fire ground operations is is huge, especially. And of course, there was the evolution of thermal imaging. I mean, sure. the first the first one we got it was a window breaker at best. <laughs> uh, but now, now they're they're good. They're great. No, absolutely. And and again, we can talk about Andy Starnes all day long. Yeah. Two Starnes. Yeah. Um, all right. So the final question. Heavy, the only one that survived, but heavy fire, searchable space. Wait, wait, wait. Did I get max points on the last one? What mistake have you learned from most? Oh, I don't know if I've ever been put on the spot. Yeah, it was max points. Okay. 100% max points. Three out of four that I've said max points on. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? First in VES. That's my life. That's what we do. That's what that's that's what we've been passionate about is search. So um, my dad's the opposite. He's like the most important guy on the fire grounds on the nozzle. The most fun is on the nozzle. Um, but uh, um, but definitely, I I like doing the search. Uh, I would rather be doing the banner search. That's what we've trained for. That's what we live for. Uh, and, and the guys that I've worked with over the last several years. So I would definitely take the window myself. And plus, yeah, I don't have to get wet. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, <laughs> everybody, uh, smooth boards helped me out. Uh, Kurt, uh, Kyle was helping me out saying the answer is yes. 
um, <laughs> on Max Points. So there it is, man. Max Points once again on number five. Uh, facts. Thank you. 100% across the board. Chad Daly. The five questions. The next five questions for firefighters, according to Chad Daly, scored. I think that might be the highest uh, scored. <laughs> that was my goal. I love it, man. I love it. Um, there it is. 127 scraps in the book. If someone wants to get a hold of you uh, to book O'Burn Fire Training, uh, how do they do that? Uh, O'Burn, F-G-T, at gmail.com. And then they, they can always hook, us, hook me up on Facebook Messenger or whatever also. Beautiful. I'm going to do my housekeeping here. Firehousevigilance.com. Go there. Shirts, merch, back in stock. Get them. Everything's in but popular hat colors. Uh, if you know anything about like shipping and stuff, like you can't get Richards and hats. Next up, Orlando Fire Conference. Coming up, I'm flying out on Thursday. I really hope that the ice storm coming in doesn't delay my flight. Um, if you want to catch a class there, there are still fall, uh, spots available. If you can get to it, uh, go online. Get them. I'm coming home from Orlando, and boom, a scrap. Is coming up on February 28th. Nick Esposito. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be amazing. So, so far we've had OJ Coloje, Chad Daly, and Nick Esposito. So, that's an amazing February. No rest for the wicked. As soon as that's over, heading back to Florida because Florida is like my second home for North Florida Fire Expo. If you see me there, get a picture with me. I, I really mean this, guys. I want to take pictures with everybody who loves the scrap. Uh, I... Today, I literally spent like three hours getting pictures off my phone onto my computer so I could do a montage of Mutts Don't Scrap. It's coming. I'm hoping to get it done tomorrow. I may not get it done, but that's my plan. Uh, if you think the scrap brings value to your life, go support the show, firehousevigilance.com. Please do so. I never want to do ads for the live version. Now then, my favorite part, coins. This one right here means a ton to me. If you followed me for the last week, you know... That I am, um, my son is at OKC Fire. He hired on, he graduated. This is from Chief uh, Richard Kelly. He gave me his actual coin when I met him. The whole thing is when the, when the kid graduated from the academy, they gave him a coin, right? And I said, yeah, son, I got that coin too. And he ran in here and checked it. No, I did not get his coin. Only people that graduate got his coin. I got the one from the chief, which is, is huge, but it's not... It was a big deal. So long story short, um, Jeremy Sanders, brother, I wore your, I took one hoodie to Florida last week when it was freaking chilly the whole time I was there. So there are a ton of pictures of me in your hoodie, uh, crew first culture. And then finally, let me see if I can pull this out. The big thing on the coins, man, is if you send me the, the, the story behind why they are important, man, I really do love the story, and I will try to feature them when there's a story is there. And I, I, I don't want to sell anybody short, but 125 years, and I want to get the name of the, the city right, Boonville Fire Department, 125 years, beautiful coin. And so they sent me the story behind it, and I love to show it off. Here's the deal. Like, when I go to the conferences, I get a stack of coins, and I love them, man. I really do. They're going to go in the flag back there. It's going to fill up. I'm going to have to figure out another way to show them off. But I need the story behind them so that I can I can talk about the story behind them when I get them. So, all that being said, where am I at? Where's my notes? Thank you, Chad, for putting up with my, my housekeeping. Show Absolutely. off coins. 
Richard Kelly got it all covered. Boom, boom, boom. You have to agree to come back on at some point to cover the other 10 topics we didn't even get to. For sure. Okay. And then everybody else, remember, mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it is burning and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.